On your Monday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Toronto Raptors prepare for Game 5 in Philly tonight, hoping to push things back to Toronto for a Game 6 on Thursday. We'll dig into the adjustments, if there are any to make. Is this just a series about who's playing better? We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Fred Van Vliet, who may or may not be available. Seems like it's skewing towards him not being around for Monday. Either way, we will dig into what it means for the Raptors to not have Fred Van Vliet in Game 5, if that does come to pass. And we'll do it all with Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com on today's episode of Lockdown Raptors. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1165 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, April the 25th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, and you can subscribe to, follow, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and all the different audio apps, so please go ahead and do that to support the show. You can also go to YouTube and join the nearly 1,900 folks who have subscribed to the YouTube channel. It's a wonderful place to see my face every day, to see my guests' face every day, and you can also uh, sign up for reminders when we go live after specific events. Uh, we did a couple live shows for the home games in Toronto on Wednesday and Saturday. Thanks to all those who tended, tuned in for those. It was nice to see people in the chat and having a good time. And uh, if the Raptors do advance to a Game 6 on Thursday, we'll do another live show following that game from Scotiabank Arena as well. So go subscribe to the YouTube channel today. A big thank you as well to Bet Online. They brought you today's show. And uh, they are the place that has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online is where the game starts. More on them a little bit later on here in your first listen of the day. And I'm joined on said first listen by Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com to dig into all the nitty gritty ahead of game five tonight. A man who I realized on Saturday sitting next to him on press row that he's as intense a game watching partner as anybody in the Raptors media core, including <laughs> William Liu, who I have watched games with in my living room. I watched, if you recall, the Terrence Ross uh, over turned buzzer beater against the Kings from a few years ago with Will Lou in my living room and he lost his mind and I thought there's never going to be a crazier person to watch a game with than Will enter Big V how are you man <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I don't know if I'll still put myself uh, in that category with Will that's just uh, yeah I mean he's an endurance athlete vibe. when it comes to that so you know yeah we, we need more than one game sample <laughs> but you know what it's the playoffs and I'm, I'm I'm writing for Raptors.com, so I get to be a little biased. Hell yeah, um, you do. <clears throat> and so, you know, maybe I don't have to keep my composure as much as I would. <laughs> um, so I think part of the excitement was just being next to you guys, too. It's been a long yeah, time. Um, it has been. I, I hadn't seen Lewis in a long time. I hadn't seen you in person uh, in a long time. Mm-hmm. And so brought out all the energy, man. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was a good time sitting there with you. Your uh, thoughts on the officiating, I will keep behind closed doors. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, but no, it was it was a blast and uh, made me feel all that much more intense and stress filled as well during that game. Uh, so let's dig into the big story coming out of Game Four, which is of course Fred Van Vliet. He uh, had a hip pointer, a hip injury, hip strain, I guess is what they're calling it. Uh, left it, of course, after ripping his jersey, walking off the floor. We don't know just yet what the deal is with him for game five he is listed as questionable on the official injury report brian windhorst on first up on tsn radio this morning said he would be very surprised if van vliet did play and you know with, with a hip thing we've seen og and an missed three weeks or whatever it was earlier this season it's not something you want to mess around with and it's not something that you can really play through and still be effective because it's half your body preventing you from moving the way you want to in a game that requires you to move with quite a range of motion and so I'm operating under the assumption that the Raptors are not going to have Fred Van Vliet tonight, and at the very least, not a full capacity version of him. And if that's the case, I think it's probably best that you just don't have him out there anyway. Um, With Fred, I made the point on the postgame show that I did on Saturday, Big V, that I think in this specific matchup, I'm not saying the Raptors are better without Fred Van Vliet, because that's a ludicrous thing to say. But I do think in this matchup, they're maybe a little bit more insulated against being completely left out to sea without him, if that makes any sense. I, I think the like the, the straw, like the length and the the just the size and the you know switchability and the versatility they have on defense when they don't have Fred. And that's not to say Fred's not a great defender because he is, but he's a different kind of defender who's nine inches shorter than everybody else. I think that defense has kind of worked against the Sixers here, and we're seeing it really give them problems. There's no easy outlets for a Tyrese Maxey or a James Harden to size up on a switch, and it's just tons of length flying at Embiid whenever he's on the catch. And so I I think there's maybe a world in which they can weather a Van Vliet absence in this series in a way they probably wouldn't be able to in any other series just based on the way the matchups look. How do you feel if the Raptors don't have Van Vliet available? Is there an adjustment to be made? And do you think I am at all crazy in suggesting that maybe this is a matchup where Fred Van Vliet is someone who, you know, again, it's not that he's not necessary because he obviously is. He's a great shooter. He's a great ball handler. He's an amazing defender on all of that. But Maybe they can get by for a couple of games here if they can't get him back and ready for game action tonight. What say you? I think when you effectively have Scotty Barnes coming back and taking those minutes, it's, yeah. it's not so bad. Sure. Uh, it's also well, what this version of Fred Van Vliet is, right? It, he's um, getting beat by Maxi. He's getting beat by James Harden. Um, uh, offensively, he's really struggling with the three. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he's down to 13 points a game. That's not what he was doing pre All-Star. He was giving you 20 a game, right? So mm-hmm. it's just not the same player. Uh, and so for those reasons, you can kind of find ways uh, to be effective without him. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen uh, the Raptors go big in that game four. And I think that's something that they'll probably have to lean on uh, by default. Uh, in game five if he's unavailable and so yeah i'm with you i I think you know you'd love to have as much uh shooting and spacing out there on the court but you know when they're kind of willing to play him like a regular guy um then you know you don't you you definitely miss the the pre-all-star van vliet but you don't necessarily uh struggle as much without this one Yeah, I think the fact that he is just not the same shooter he was before the All-Star break, like, 
you know, you can kind of disperse those three-point attempts to other guys and feel okay about those going somewhere else and actually maybe going in at a higher clip than they've been going in with Fred just because he is limited and he obviously doesn't have the legs that he had at the start of the season and it sucks. And, you know, we'll talk about what that means for next season, next season, and, you know, how they sort of go about managing his load a little bit more effectively. But in this series so far, just 33% from deep on uh, 36 attempts, which is, you know, better than what he was down the stretch of the season where he was hovering around 29%. But still not exactly finishing plays for you the way you want. And if you're, you know, moving some of those threes over to a Gary Trent Jr. or an OG Ananobi or a Precious Achua, for example, maybe you can sort of build in a little bit higher expected field goal percentage on those shots. Just I would also you know, add in this version of Fred. Yeah. Just quickly, the three-point shooting looks better than it really is because he had a week off before game one and made four out of his seven attempts. That's that true. Yeah. Since then, <laughs> it's it just hasn't been there. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, so yeah, I, I think without Fred, like obviously the offense probably becomes like the bigger question, right? Like, do they just kind of spam Siakam as like the heliocentric guy? Probably that's what they did in the second half of Game Five or Game Four, and it worked pretty damn well, you know. And that that was ha- that happened even with the Sixers. Oh, sorry, with the Raptors not hitting their threes, right? Like, they were pretty miserable from downtown. If you bake in a little bit of a bounce back from deep, from, you know, guys like OG, who went one of seven from three in the game, and Trent, who wasn't terribly effective from outside either, like he was three of ten, you know, I, I think maybe you can talk yourself into the offense not losing too much of a step. And the defense, I think, is pretty clearly awesome, no matter who they have out there. They have really seemed to hit their stride these last couple of games, and they really seem to be comfortable with Vision six foot nine as their sort of default defense and just flying around and, you know, coming with extra help when it's necessary. I think the point I made on the podcast about Thad Young, but it's been true about everybody, is that figuring out the on-ball defense with Harden and Maxi has really altered the dynamics of how they can double and beat and how they can send doubles towards Harden or Maxi if they feel like they have to as well. It's not so much that they're doubling out of necessity anymore at the time where they just have to. It's they can choose their spot where they're going to send that help, you know, time it up with rotations that they have elsewhere on the floor, time it up with, you know, where the big man is in the floor and then the sort of, you know, the, the three second violations they're counting and all that stuff. Like, it's just, it all is a little bit easier for them to do do what they want to do when they want to do it, as opposed to, you know, just being forced to send help because they've had a breakdown somewhere. And Fred, unfortunately, has been responsible for a lot of those breakdowns because he's just in this sort of, you know, depressed state of what Fred Van Vliet typically is. Um, you know, as far as like what lineups we're going to see without Fred, I mean, there's not a ton to choose from for the Raptors in terms of lineups with regular run that you can pull any data from uh, to suggest, okay, maybe they'll go roll with this. Uh, the one lineup that stands out that played more than 100 minutes per cleaning the glass for the Raptors in the regular season uh, is the Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Boucher, Achua line, a lineup that uh, went for 103 minutes, 86th percentile in terms of point differential, plus 18.4 per 100 possessions, uh, 100th percentile offensive rebounding percentage, 97th percentile free throw rate as well, which is kind of weird, uh, and their, their defense has been uh, quite good as well. So, you know, th- there's that sample to go from there's also like a whole bunch of you know more sparsely used lineups that have some pretty encouraging small sample numbers with you know Gary Trent and four long guys or five long guys or whatever it might be um is do you have like an inkling as to like what the starting five should be if there's no Fred Van Vliet like how do they alter the lineup you know starting five closing five obviously that's a lot of minutes you're filling in for Fred Van Vliet where do you think those minutes are coming from yeah with the starting five it's interesting um I think it, it just depends on how much Scotty Barnes can give you. If yeah. 
if he's feeling even better, then I think he's an easy person to just roll in there. Sure. Uh, if if not, then uh, you know you you go with maybe you know having Chris Boucher in there early, taking him out so that he can come back with Precious again. Sure. Um, sure. I think that's that's what I would look at. Uh, and then I think you know we have to talk about Gary Trent Jr. because of how good he's been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this game is going to be really interesting to see because of now the Matisse Thibault factor re-entering the equation. True. And yeah. we've seen Thibault give uh, Trent Jr. problems. And so uh, does Doc Rivers look at starting Matisse Thibault um, ahead of Danny Green, who's played a lot of minutes yeah, um, and is looking more and more... Uh, frail of his Ooh. age, if we're gonna yeah. be nice about it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see if uh, Rivers makes that adjustment and then mm-hmm. you know just says, Hey, we're at home, so I trust the role players to just shoot the ball better and be sure. better uh, on the offensive end overall. Uh, so I think that's the big one that I'm really looking at is how does Gary Trent Jr. respond on the road. Uh, against uh, going up against Matisse Thibault whenever he does. Yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of those. I mean, he had a lot of those possessions in the last two games in Toronto where he kind of, you know, put a guy in his hip, get to the mid range, work the step back, you know, kind of get to the floater range. And that's a lot easier when Matisse Thibault's not hounding you on your hip and is ready to fly across with a from behind you block because he's lost position defensively uh, and, uh, and is knocking it away. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, they ran pretty heavy with, with Siakam and Trent kind of as the two primary initiators in game four. We know the limitations of Gary Trent Jr. as a playmaker and, you know, but you know, they need the play finishing as well. So we shall see if you get Scotty Barnes back in there as well. That gives you, I think, a, a, you know, another outlet of creation. You know, if he's up to it, obviously, and a little bit more in terms of matchup matchup hunting as well, right? That's something they've kind of lost without Barnes is they don't have all of these different guys to ensure there's an easy matchup to go and exploit somewhere. If you can get Maxi, you know, standing on Barnes in the corner, swing it over to Barnes, let him go to work, and uh, that feels like a pretty effective way to get a few extra buckets on the board as well. We're going to continue on here and continue to talk about the adjustments that may or may not be available to be made in this series. Is it kind of adjustmented out because of the lack of depth for the, both of these teams? Is it more just a series about who's playing well and who's not? We will get to that and answer those questions in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Athletic Greens. Now, you may be wondering, Sean, what is this Athletic Greens stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of their AG1 formula, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole, for, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right? This is a special blend of ingredients to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things that matter. And it's a wonderful, wonderful product. It was created by a guy who was a fitness advocate. He was like an adventure racer. And he was a guy who felt like he was eating all that he needed to, to be nutritious and have the proper nutrients in his body to then execute said high level athletic activities. But he just wasn't getting it. His doctor said, you're malnourished, man. You got to figure this out. 
And so he started this regimen of pills and supplements to try to get his body all the stuff that it needed. And it was costing him like a hundred bucks a day for all these pills. Plus those pills are terrible for your stomach and your, your digestive tract and all that stuff. And so he created the Athletic Greens formula after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition on your own. It is the ultimate daily insurance. It has all of the nutrients you need. It's, you know, you start your day in the morning. Maybe you know you're going to have a bit of a rough eating day. Maybe you know you're going out to the bar to watch the game tonight and you you are you're sort of worried about, oh God, all the chicken wings I'm going to eat, all the beers I'm going to down. This is not good for my body. I got a nutrition, nutrate, nutri. Oh God, I have to give myself nutrients. I don't even know the word I'm trying to use right now. Either way, AG1 is going to cover it for you. You got to go and get them uh, ordered to you right now. You can take it every single day, just in a glass, glass of water. It tastes kind of like bubble gum, honestly. I think everybody kind of has a different feel of the flavor, but it certainly does not taste bad, which is kind of the thing you're worried about with these powders. Uh, you just go get the AG1, you put it in your fridge, put it in your water or your smoothie every single morning, and you have that ultimate daily insurance. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Go check them out. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on your first listen of the day here on Locked On Raptors. And I do want to talk to you here, Vivek, about the adjustment game in this series. You know, we this was touted as a... You know, a uh, David and Goliath coaching matchup coming into the series. Doc Rivers, Nick Nurse, uh, you know, the mad scientist versus the guy who blows leads all the time. And it really hasn't been, to my eyes, like that heavy a series in terms of adjustments. The Raptors have certainly made their changes in terms of how they're guarding, like Tyrese Maxey, for example. They've changed their coverage on James Harden as well to be a little bit more happy with single coverage and just sort of daring him to score, which he's not really doing. Uh, and, you know, that seems to have worked for the Raptors to kind Kind of get back to their regular defensive principles. But beyond that, like, there doesn't seem to be all that much. The Raptors continue to drive Pascal Siakam right into the chest of Tobias Harris and hope good things come out of that. You know, Embiid has switched on to Siakam here and there and has been certainly a deterrent and has forced the sort of mid-range game to be a bigger part of Siakam's repertoire, which may or may not be able to hold up over the course of a full series. We can talk about that. But are there any adjustments do you see that are left on the table? You know, when you get to game five of the series, typically you've kind of figured it out and both teams have the term set and it's just about who's going to play better you know more or less but it has felt like that honestly for a couple games here now and it does seem like the Raptors have maybe found their recipe the recipe everyone thought that they might be able to throw at the Sixers and cause some problems in the first round it's a little bit late coming and it might be too late for them to actually win this series probably is but it does feel like the Raptors kind of have the upper hand in terms of the flow of play right now is there an adjustment from the Sixers side of things that you can see do the Raptors need to change anything they've done in the last couple of games here or is this really a series where the terms are set and it's just kind of about who plays better and who executes more effectively over the remaining game I think this is where this is a series where you're seeing that <clears throat> depth matters in the playoffs mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that sure 
you may go into any given playoff game and only play um, seven or eight guys, mm-hmm. but who you play can change things. And sure, so that's where that's where the depth matters. And so, um, you look back at the last time these two teams played. Fred Van Vliet struggles. Okay, you know, you, you thankfully you've got someone like Serge Ibaka, and you can go big with Marcus All, and uh, you can kind of make up for things that way. Um, now, if Fred Van Vliet gets hurt and you don't have Scotty Barnes returning from injury, then you're really, really struggling. And so yeah. uh, it, it's been uh, tough to see that you can't make as many adjustments just because of what the availability has looked like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, first two games, Gary Trent Jr. looking the way he did. Um, there's no real way uh, to compensate that. Uh, the one thing that you know, I, I think is a fair criticism uh, of Nick Nurse is we all knew what James Harden has looked like this season. Um, it should not have taken until game three uh, yeah. to be playing him the way uh, the Raptors are playing him now, which is sure. playing him to be a scorer, uh, not giving as much help, um, taking away uh, a bit of that playmaking ability by being more straight up. And so that's something that should have been on the table right from the beginning of the series. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, with Embiid, uh, I'm not sure there's, there's so much that can be done. Um, They're doing a good job with a man, like considering the circumstances, like you can't be too upset with it. Yeah. (laughs) Other than changing uh, some of the personnel for next year, (laughs) (laughs) in terms of how you're playing him, there's not too much to be done. I like the minutes that that young had on him. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Siakam has been amazing timing his double teams um, and forcing some of those turnovers. Obviously, some of that has to do with uh, the thumb yep. uh, that Embiid is dealing with. But uh, yeah, I think this is a series where because of the Raptors lack of depth and because the Raptors really only have one primary way of winning. I think that's yeah. the other thing I would say, too. It's like. You either just go more all in on <laughs> trying to do those things, you know, <laughs> offensive rebounding and creating turnovers uh, and getting into transition offense as much as possible. Um, there isn't really another way for the Raptors to go about it, you know, unless like I, I don't see how, you know, without Gary Trent Jr. for the first two games uh, with Fred Van Vliet being the way he is, uh, I don't see how you're just going to outshoot uh, the Sixers, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, hopefully there there is one of those variance games, uh, and hopefully it comes uh, <laughs> on the road. That would be great uh, tonight in Game 5 to get this thing to Game 6. But beyond that, I don't really see much. Yeah, I mean, I made this point during the regular season about how, you know, the Raptors aren't versatile in the traditional sense, right? Like each individual player is versatile and that they can guard multiple positions and kind of do different jobs and, you know, kind of float around anywhere between the one and the five and your weirdo positionless lineups. But they don't have a lot of diversity in terms of play style because they've gone so fully into everyone's the same size and that's just the way it goes. And like they have options to swap into certain lineups to sort of give a slightly different look. You know, Thad's obviously a bit more of a refined and chill look than if Precious is in there, for example. Or you have, like, the Boucher and Achua duo that's just maniac chaos energy all the time, and that works as well. 
But yeah, there's not a lot in terms of like they can't just go do the thing where they went big against the Sixers, right? They can't do a thing where they scale down like they used to with the, you know, Fred, Kyle, Norm Powell backcourt, right? And, you know, OG and Siakam in that Celtics series, for example, that lineup that worked so well. Like there's not that sort of maneuverability between varied sizes of lineups. And look, you probably don't want to go super small against this team anyway, so it's not a problem. Obviously, you wish you had a little bit more in terms of beef and heft to go up against Embiid. But again, I think they're doing as good a job as you could want with Embiid and really making him at least have to work for everything he's getting, making it annoying for him to get what he's getting. And a lot of the shots that that Embiid's made here in the last couple of games, even in game three when the Sixers won, like tough shots, man, like really, really difficult shot making, forced to shoot from 18 feet out. Thad was talking after his after the game in his post game about how uh old pal Aaron McKee really sort of drilled into him, like, just pick this guy up as early as you possibly can. Don't let him seal it under the basket. There were maybe two or three instances in game four where they did sort of give up that easy position, the sort of inverse version of what the Raptors try to do with OG all the time, right? Like, getting him quickly under the basket, quick fire in, easy bucket. Like, there were not that many of those instances, and there probably should be more if you're Joel Embiid up against a team where you have six inches on everybody else, but the Raptors have done a good job of keeping him out of those areas, and, um, you know, that, that that they've managed it pretty all right. But yeah, I think because of the lack of varied personnel, there's not much in the way of adjustment here. And it really is, I think, going to come down to, you know, is James Harden shooting uh, 8 of 17 instead of 5 of 17? Is Tyrese Maxey being neutralized or not? Which the Raptors have done a very good job of sort of making his impact a lot less. Um, one thing I am curious about that the Raptors have done, it seems, is they've slowed down the transition game for the Sixers. The Sixers were just running down their throats in games one and two, just completely marauding. Obviously, Maxi was like the biggest part of that, just kind of getting it and going off of makes, off of misses, off of whatever. They seem to have not done that quite as much in Toronto. Do you th- do you see the Raptors, like, have they done anything to your eyes to limit that transition game? Are they just being more studious in the way they're tracking back and getting, you know, a body on guys, whoever it's going to be? Does the fact that they're playing with sort of everyone being the same size make it easier for them? They're not so worried about cross-matching and stuff like that in transition. Like, how have they gone about slowing down the transition game of the Sixers, which was really the huge difference in games one and two because of the way the Raptors were scoring in the half court they were losing it all in transition so one i think you're right the cross matching uh, has become a, a lot more on point and they're just picking up and, and you know they can settle into the defense later when they have to uh the other thing too i will say is um the floor balance when they are taking shots in the half court that that was kind of the concern right the, the fact that you were getting into half court sets and then the sixers are sort of beating you down the court. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a concern. And now I think the floor balance is, is a lot better. Um, I think you know where the shots are coming from. And I think they're, uh, you know, they're just being uh, smarter about the offensive rebounding. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think you've got guys who know where their opportunities lie and then the rest are getting back on defense um and then i think you know when you're pushing when you're able to push yourselves at, at some point the opposition kind of wants to take a break right and yeah so, uh, <laughs> i think though the way the raptors have been able to get into their own transition game the way uh you know scotty 
didn't have a single offensive rebound in that yeah. last game. But the fact that he had 11 defensive boards and the Raptors are able to keep that clean. Now that's that many more possessions where you're just getting the ball and going, right? Yeah. And I think putting that kind of pressure on the defense, you are going to get into more possessions where the Sixers are saying, all right, well, we just hustled our ass back. <laughs> Let's hold off for a second here. Um and I, I think those are the maybe the main differences we're, that we're seeing so far. Yeah, hundred percent. I, um, you know, it, it's it, it, the Sixers are a weird team, man, because they feel like they could sort of snap back to what their successful formula was any time, but it's also possible that they just kind of have lost it. And maybe the MB thing matters. I, I know I was listening to the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast and they were talking about how they were really noticing MB getting killed on the defensive class, you know, or on the trying to get offensive boards because Barnes was just out muscling him. Right. And just kind of, you know, boxing him out and Embiid maybe seemed like he didn't want to really mess with that with the thumb going on. I mean, that is like, I guess the sort of through line of this series and maybe it doesn't quite matter just yet, but if the Raptors win tonight, going back to Toronto for game six, like, I don't know, man, like the way the Raptors seem to have kind of figured out their formula, you know, it is going to be kind of on the Sixers here to adjust and figure out how to get them back off kilter and uncomfortable. But I, I kind of think they'll be able to, the Raptors might be able to kind of transmute, move over the transmute. Is that the word? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like continue over what they've done in Toronto. Transport. Sure, transport. There you go. Uh, because you know, if even if Fred VanVleet's not available, and maybe because Fred VanVleet's not available, if he's not available, like they seem to have really found like the the true concoction that this team is going for. And I'm curious to see how the Sixers can go about mucking that up. Maybe it is just a matter of Matisse Thybul being the most important player alive. Who's to say? Uh, we're gonna finish up here in just one second. We're going to take a look uh, and sort of, you know, look into the crystal ball a little bit ahead of tonight. I also want to talk about Scotty Barnes, who won Rookie of the Year over the weekend, who we did not really get to talk about all that much on the postgame show, other than me saying it was awesome and very nice. Uh, so we'll get to that in just one second as well here to close out the show. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who you know by now, they're making the best tasting protein bars in the game. They are low calorie, high protein that you can replace regular candy bars with a, with a Built Bar, and they are even better. They're better for you. They taste just like a candy bar. They feel just like a candy bar. They look just like a candy bar. And they are just so much better for you. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein in your standard built bar. That's half the calories of a typical candy bar and one-eighth the sugar. That is so much less sugar. That should be what sells you on built bars alone. They have tons of great flavors. My favorite personally is mint brownie. It I just can't get enough of it. It's so good. But they've got other flavors like coconut almond. They've got white chocolate cookies and cream as a limited time flavor they have limited time flavors all the time you got to go check those limited time flavors out i'm still my white whale now is the caramel almond one that was on the site around thanksgiving time and is no longer there and i'm very sad and i can't wait for next thanksgiving when hopefully it comes back full time go and check it out you have a flavor for everybody they are keto friendly they have nut and nut free options as well and they are all about the taste. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, to get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. 
part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we round out your first listen of the day here. Uh, Before we talk about Scotty Barnes, Crystal Ball, Big V, do you think the Raptors pull it off tonight? It seems to be trending their way in terms of the, the way the floor has been tilted. Obviously, that Philly crowd is maniacal and can quickly spur that Sixers team on to like a 20-point run that, uh, you know, makes this series come to a conclusion tonight. I would say, you know, the Sixers should probably be favored in this game with home court and everything like that. But um, how are you feeling, I guess, about the possibility of the Raptors extending this thing back to Game 6 in Toronto and really making Doc Rivers sweat? (laughs) Yeah, I'll be honest. I hope they prove me wrong. I, I don't have a great feeling uh, about the game tonight. Um, <clears throat> I do think the Sixers will close it out. Um, I'm, I'm happy it didn't end in a sweep. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the advantages the Raptors have created, um, some of that I think will tilt back towards Philly. Uh, I'll be very happily surprised if Siakam is able to get to the line 10 plus times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll put it that way. Um, and I, I think, you know, even when the Raptors are having these advantages, it's, it's marginal. Uh, you know, the, the game was 82, 81 uh, at yeah. one point before the Raptors go on that big run. Um, sure. So uh, I think the Sixers are right there and, uh, I do think, you know, the X factor for me is Gary Trent Jr. If he gives you 20-plus yeah. points, because crazy to say, I feel pretty good about what I'm going to get out of Precious Achua. Um, yeah. You're going <laughs> to get lefty in-and-out dribbles around Danny Green's <laughs> ass is what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which I by not... the way, was the most uh, animated you were to talk about uh, the intense game watching experience of sitting next to you. Uh, I had to hold. I thought you were going to fall over in your chair. I held you up. It was more. I was also supporting yes. myself because I too was feeling the wobbles. But man, that yeah. was wild. <laughs> that, that was insane. I was not ready for that moment. Um, and yeah, thankfully, uh, JQ wasn't around to see that. But <laughs> <laughs> you're a team employee. It's fine. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah, if, if Gary Trent Jr. can keep it going, uh, then I think the Raptors will be right there and mm-hmm. it probably, uh, will come down to the, the, the fourth quarter and maybe some final few possessions. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to Pascal continuing to do what he's doing and, uh, being just as assertive. Um, and so, yeah, if Matisse Thibault can really take away Gary's game, then I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. If not the Raptors should have a chance. Yeah, I think I probably feel a little bit better than you do just because I think, you know, the thing that was so missing from those first couple of games was the Raptors defense that we saw in the back third of the season where they really coalesced into this frightening terror machine. And it seems like they've kind of reestablished some of those principles in the last couple of games here. And if they can kind of carry that thread over, like that is a problematic formula for the Sixers to deal with. There's no mismatch hunting you can do. It's tough for Harden. It's tough for Maxi. It's tough for MB. The three guys are really trying to cut off. And so I think there's a pathway here to me. If we're going X factors, like, Pascal Siakam has been taking a very difficult diet of shots and credit to him. He hit him in the last game and looked incredible. And it was a really great, satisfying bounce back effort for him after that game three where it made, made people get real dumb for a sec there. Um, you know, I 
don't know if you can bank on him going 10 of 19 and sort of crushing from the mid-range or crushing from floater range when Joel Embiid's, you know, skulking around. Like, that's a tricky thing to ask to be replicated, but he's done it before against Philly this season multiple times. And so I do think there is an avenue here where Siakam has another kind of out-of-body game as the heliocentric player. He does feel like he kind of gets more comfortable when he is being asked to start every possession and just kind of have his fingers in every little piece of the pie, which is, you know, certainly, you know, maybe something easier to game plan for if you're the Sixers, but they haven't had a ton of luck sort of slowing him down outside of the first couple games, or I guess the, the second and third games of this series, I would argue, are kind of the moments where that was the case. But yeah, I uh, I, I don't feel like amazing but I don't feel totally despondent which I guess is where you want to be uh going into a game five where it kind of is all gravy at this point anyway when you're down 3-0 the more you can kind of annoy the Sixers and prolong this thing the more it certainly swings in the Raptors favor so yeah I uh you know I don't say I'll, pre- I'll predict a win here, although I feel probably a little bit better than you do about it, even if the Sixers should probably still be favored. Um, let's talk about Scotty Barnes real quick before we get out of here. Uh, you know, I-, I said my thoughts about it on the weekend. I think it's amazing. I don't think there was a wrong choice when it came to the Rookie of the Year conversation at all uh, between Mobley, between Cade, between Scotty Barnes. I think the whole black and white of it all was very silly and dumb. Uh, I remember we had a talk on this podcast, like, I don't know, two months before the end of the season or maybe a month before about how, uh, you know, you were pretty staunchly it's Mobley and there's not, you know, he's going to win it and, you know, it's going to take a lot from Scotty to go ahead and take it. And hey, he did it. Recency is a, is a hell of a thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that's, I think the whole recency bias thing that you're seeing from <clears throat> Cavs fans uh, is a little bit reductive. Like, Scotty was good all season long, right? It's not like he was only good in the back couple months of the season. Um, but either way, you know, we don't have to worry about the, the sort of politics of the vote. Uh, what were your thoughts when he, when he won? Were you shocked? Were you surprised? Were you, what was your overall sort of uh, reaction in the moment about an hour before tip-off on Saturday when it was announced he'd won? I was a little bit surprised. Yeah. Um, I I knew for sure that Scotty had closed the gap, and especially when different people are revealing their votes and saying that they picked Scotty for Rookie of the yeah. Year, you knew it was going to be close. Um, mm-hmm. I still didn't think it would have been enough, um, but I'm glad it turned out that way. I think yeah. Scotty, uh, on the whole, probably f- finished out just ahead, which the voting reflects. Um, yeah, I, I think. The one thing I will say when you look back, um, and I kind of made my Scotty case the week before voting ended, and when you look back, the gap between them wasn't actually as big as it was made out to be. Yeah. When when you look at the first month, uh, Scotty had a better month than Mobley. Mobley just mm-hmm. won Rookie of the Month because the Cavs had this surge out of the gate and were looking very good, and the Raptors sure. were not good. Sure. Um, and so that's where I I was kind of making the point. If, if you're looking at team records that early in the season, we got you could, we got to look at team records late in the season too. Uh, and so I, I do think that has definitely helped Scotty's case. I, I think if Cleveland hadn't plummeted the way they had, uh, obviously because of injuries, um, that Mobley narrative would have been stronger uh, mm-hmm. and might have likely would have been enough, you know, to. Uh, hold on to the win but hey 
them's the breaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said on Saturday, we're going to look back and think it was real dumb that we cared about the rookie of the year race when in 2027, the Pistons, Cavs, and Raptors are the, the class of the Eastern Conference in the post-Giannis era. Um, like, that, that it's going to be fine, everybody. Everyone's going to survive. It's not going to, you know, derail anybody's career that they didn't win rookie of the year and all that stuff. Um, I, here's an interesting parlor game for you. Fill in the blank. Scotty Barnes was the blank best player on the Raptors this season. Um, I will say third. Yeah. But after the All-Star break, he's been the second best player. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. You, yeah. So you'd slot him ahead of OG just because of the time missed, I'm guessing? Yeah. 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 I, I think games played and um, the player he looked like after the All-Star break, like that kind of changes the trajectory of this team yeah even even more than what it was uh <laughs> of the player we saw before the all-star break right sure like, sure i the first half of the season my whole thing was like oh i can see this guy being uh you know competing for an all nba team by the end of his rookie contract so like his yeah. fourth year and now i'm like man this guy could be real scary next year <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think that's the right assessment. He was definitely the second best guy after the All Star break for sure. I think third, kind of on the whole, just impact. He played like thirty more games than OG did, so I think that probably has to be factored in. Um, he's the other thing too with him is that his defense, I think, really flipped in the back part of the season, and the reputation of his defense seems to be a lot higher than even we kind of perceive it to be. Like I, I think yeah. a lot of people who watch the team every day were like, oh, he gets kind of blown by a lot, and he's you know kind of you know. And look, a lot of it is under understandable growing pains for a guy who was asked to play literally every position defensively in his rookie season um, in this super bizarro defense that the Raptors play. Um, but like it really tidied up in the back part of the year. And it seems like the reputation of his defense around the league, and I don't know how this matters, right? Like you can look at the numbers, you can look at the eye test, the film, all that stuff. But like you have to also take into account, I think, what the players who are playing against him think about him. And like Kyle Kuzma said, he could be the best defender in the league for a long time. And it seems like the general impression of his defense around the league is way higher than maybe someone who watched every day and is kind of picking apart the foibles over and over. Again, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means he's a better defender than we think he is or if he's a worse defender. I don't know. But um, I th certainly think that has to be taken into account. Um, and it's probably part of the, the reason why he ended up winning it, right? He had this defensive reputation despite maybe a pretty rocky start uh, and still some you know holes in the game you know as the season progressed too but uh, it certainly did tighten up in the back part of the year I thought he was very very good on that end in game four when he got back on the floor as well uh, do you have any parting shots Big V anything you want to uh, you know throw in to close this thing off as a closing thought before you pass along all the stuff that you want to plug for the people out there um, I don't have much to plug you know the usual stuff raptors.com cbc sports um if you don't mind since you know we don't know where the series goes from here yeah um, i would like to quickly talk about um my friend's nieces yes uh, fire away they're, please yeah they're uh so my friend's nieces were diagnosed with uh, a rare genetic condition uh a while back and they require a bone marrow transplant so that they can just do normal things like, you know, go, uh, you know, play in the park and sure. uh, those types of things, go to the zoo, whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, kindergarten's coming up for them and they want to be able to, you know, interact with the classmates and everything the way uh, a normal kid would. And so sure. um, 
I have a tweet pinned to my profile where, you, you know, there's a Canadian link, there's a US link. And um, in terms of seeing if you can actually be a match, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You just fill out your uh, personal information and they just send you like a mouth swab kit to your home. And then you just do that and send it back. And and then you just see if you're uh, a match or not. From there, obviously, you know, th there's a process. Uh, but just in terms of finding a match, that's all it is. So um, any help in that regard would be greatly appreciated. Um, my friend, uh, you know, we we've been friends for a couple of decades now. Uh, he's a huge Raptors fan as well. Uh, watch a bunch of games together. So anything uh, that I can do to help him uh, and you could potentially do to help him would be much appreciated. The links for uh, the Vex friends, nieces uh, and the matching the, the process there for the both U S and Canadian links will be available in the description of this podcast, both on YouTube and on uh, the podcast apps. So please take a second, fill it out and uh, help some, uh, help some, young girls out and help them be children uh yeah that's uh thank you for that big v uh glad we could close off the show with that uh with that we will wrap up today's episode thank you for tuning in thank you for supporting the show as always we'll be back again tomorrow jamar hines from raptors republic is going to pop on to break down game number five tuesday morning so you have that to look forward to and of course a full week uh, we'll be talking either about the end of the season or we'll be talking about game six or game yeah game six coming up on thursday uh in the event the raptors lose big v you'll probably be back on again this week because we got to do the over-unders breakdown baby it's coming near the end the scotty barnes winning rookie of the year certainly changes that dynamic as well so we will have that if the raptors lose if not that'll be a thing for next week or whenever the raptors are in fact out of the postseason so you have that to look forward to as well hopefully the uh the embarrassment of sahal abdi is nigh uh we're gonna <laughs> wrap it up there uh talk to you tomorrow go make your second listen of the day locked on nba they're breaking down all the action from around the league surely lots of pelicans talk on today's podcast after uh their big win over the suns last night and so much more uh and with that we'll let you go talk to you tuesday bye